I want to ask a question that I actually, I watched a video. Um, I feel like at some point I should probably stop watching and reading John Piper so that I don't reference him every week. But I watched this video and I thought, this is at the heart of Habakkuk. So I want to do to you what he did to me through a video. He asked the question, why did Jesus die? Why did Jesus die? And this is not exactly a rhetorical question. I know I just asked a bunch of people to stand up and talk. I'm not looking for, for a verbal response, but I want each of you, everyone, to think of an answer in your mind. Be clear about why Jesus died. What do you believe? You might say, he died to save us from our sins. You might say, he died so that we could go to heaven. Or you might say, he died so that we wouldn't have to go to hell. And all of those are true answers. I don't want to minimize any of them except to do this. They do not describe the ultimate reason for which Jesus died. 1 Peter 3.18 says, Christ also suffered once for sins. Yes, he did die for our sins. The righteous for the unrighteous. Then it says, why? That he might bring us to God. That he might bring us to God. The truth of the gospel is, we aren't just welcomed in to this fellowship so that we can enjoy God's blessings. We are welcomed into this fellowship with God himself who is the giver of every good gift and greater than any gift that he can give us. And so the truth of the gospel, the heart of the gospel, that should grip your heart and that should grip my heart, is that we are welcomed into fellowship with the living God. And that's why Jesus died for you. And it's critical to understand this because it's actually at the heart of our passage today in Habakkuk. If you can believe that, it's it's an Old Testament book. This is hundreds of years before Jesus was born and lived and died and rose again. And yet, this is at the heart of how you can have real joy. I've been praying for this message that God would equip all of us, you and me, everyone here, to suffer with joy. To suffer with real joy. Because what Habakkuk shows is that you can lose everything and have satisfaction in God. Habakkuk demonstrates that it was possible even before Christ came. And how much more should it be possible for you and I who know God's plan of salvation, that in love he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for us. If you understand that what you are invited to is not a trip to an eternal Disneyland, but into a fellowship with the greatest good, the most beautiful beauty, the richest fellowship, you will have joy that cannot be taken away. And this morning, I want to see it in Habakkuk's life. So turn with me. If you, if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Habakkuk chapter 3. We're going to end the book today. If you don't have a Bible today, that's okay. We've got little blue Bibles that are under the seat in front of you. 
you can find the book of Habakkuk on page 664. You, you may have to turn a page because I didn't check this week. It might be 665. But go ahead and turn, and I want you to see this in the pages of Scripture. We're going to look at three things from Habakkuk. We're going to see the famine in Habakkuk's future, the feast he had to prepare him for it, and the foundation that he could stand on in the midst of it. So let's start, and we're going to read verses 16 and 17. I'm going to be preaching really through 17 through 19 at the end of the book. But to remember what he's just said, let's look at verse 16. Habakkuk writes, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. He is utterly fearful. Yet, I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. He's looking for a future when God makes all things right. And then he says this, one of the most beautiful passages, I think, in the entire Bible. Verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Habakkuk is looking to the future. He knows that the Babylonians are coming. They are going to destroy Jerusalem. They are going to tear down the wall. They are going to demolish the temple. There's not even a hope that they will be sustained by farming without the protection of a city. He anticipates nothing. And understand that the blessings of Jerusalem, read through the Psalms, the blessings of Jerusalem and the blessings of the harvest are all biblical promises that an ancient Israelite could look to. As they walked in the covenant, they knew that God would give them those things. And yet Habakkuk lives at a time where he says, Israel has gone too far. Judah has gone too far. My judgment is coming. I would not be just if I overlooked this. And so to Habakkuk, a righteous man, he gives the promise. The righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. He doesn't say, the Babylonians are not going to come, you're safe. He says, the Babylonians are coming, and you'll be okay anyway. Each of us are going to face suffering. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. The reality is, the thing that will carry you through it, is if you have come to God through Jesus Christ, for God himself not his blessings. I think in our own day, we might put verse 17 like this. Although the factories are shut down, I can't sell my house or pay for it. College loans are in default. My kids can't find jobs. It seems our town has no future. I have no retirement savings and can't pay my bills. Yet, I will rejoice. This is in many ways one of the craziest, most beautiful passages of Scripture that I believe God has ever inspired. Habakkuk teaches us that without any of God's blessings, he is able to rejoice in God his Savior. So let's look at verse 18. This is the feast. This is the feast he has to get ready for this famine. Verse 18 says, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Notice he doesn't say, I'll take joy in my salvation. He says, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. 
And in this entire series, I've said, I want the church to understand how to suffer joyfully. And I haven't once said what I believe biblically joy is. So let's take a moment and see what the Bible actually teaches about it. There's a large school of thought that started from about 70, 75 years ago that said joy is fundamentally different from happiness. The happiness is based on happenstance. Superficial, unspiritual, fleeting, and of little value. By contrast, joy, so they say, is supposed to be a rich confidence in God that is constant in times of trial and never absent in times of blessing. And that definition of joy is half true. Because the biblical reality is that there is very little distinction between happiness and joy. We might want to try and have that distinction because it seems like a source of comfort to us when happiness seems impossible. We can attempt to reassure ourselves that God doesn't promise happiness so that when we're profoundly unhappy, we can rest in the knowledge that we have this other deeper thing that's joy and we don't expect to experience what joy looks like on the outside. The problem with this distinction is I believe it is utterly unbiblical. And we need to know this in order to fully appreciate what Habakkuk says is true. He said twice here that he will rejoice in the Lord and he will take joy in the God of his salvation as he looks for the Babylonians to come and destroy the city he loves and kill his family. If that's true, that's powerful. So let's look at what joy is. Leviticus 23.40. I'm going to give you a long list of verses. We're going to turn to the last one. Leviticus 23.40 talks about the joy of a harvest. The type of party that you would have as you celebrate God's provision in good food. You can think Thanksgiving. Mashed potatoes piled high in turkey and gravy and pumpkin pie. That is a feast of food that should be a joyful occasion. We'll talk about the ideal, not what actually happens at our family get-togethers. The joy of harvest, thanking God for his provision. Nehemiah 8.10, and I'm not going to talk about the context of each of these. Leviticus is a God-mandated party that they have to have every year. Celebration. Bring your kids. This is fun. Nehemiah 8.10, the the occasion is totally different, but it talks about the joy of fatty food, sweet wine, and cakes. This is not a diet. Probably we as Americans need to focus more on fasting, but the the message today is on joy. So I want to give you this truth that is true. God says enjoy rich food. And in that passage, he even goes further and says, if you see someone that lacks, share with him. First Chronicles fifteen sixteen mentions music in connection with joy. And this isn't a dirge. This is joyful music. This is the kind of music that if your neighbors are playing it and you're trying to sleep, you call the cops over. This is joyful music. When you're happy, You play happy music. When you're sad, you play sad music. This is not sad music. This is joy. 1 Samuel 2, 1-10 is a longer passage that Hannah, Samuel's mother, 
writes in praise to God for her son Samuel. If you know the story, she can't have a baby. She's heartbroken because she's childless. She's barren. And she prays and weeps before God, and God blesses her and gives her a baby. And she writes a 10-verse passage of praise that's full of joy. Have you had a baby that you're joyful for? Maybe a grandbaby? Maybe your own baby? Remember, your joy is deep at that moment. It's profound. But the smile on your face is also wide. Proverbs 5, 18 and 19 says, Rejoice in the wife of your youth, and may her breasts always satisfy you. Joy in connection with a good marriage. And just so we don't misunderstand the scriptures, God makes it way more explicit than I would. Says we are talking about the height of marital union. Enjoy that good gift. That's joy. So when we see this word, we've talked about food. We've talked about music. We've talked about babies. We've talked about sex within marriage. And all, not in the context of worldly superficial happiness. We've talked about all of those things that are supposedly less spiritual and more about happiness. All of those things are in connection with joy. So when we see this word in more obviously spiritual context, we should not diminish it and assume that it's entirely different. So in Matthew 13, 44, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a man who finds a treasure in a field, goes and sells all he has in joy, and goes and buys the field for the treasure. I remember when I read that as a young Christian, I was like, God, you're going to take all my stuff. The whole point of that passage is that what you get is better than anything that you love. That man is not sad that he's leaving behind everything. He is overjoyed because he's found something better. Think about that picture. Think about that image. Have you ever bought something that you thought was the best deal? Think about the excitement that you have when you feel like you got way more than your money was worth. He says that's biblical joy over being saved. You tell everyone about it when you have that experience. You can't stop it. You can't be quiet. The last verse I'll mention about joy, although there are dozens more, this is by no means exhaustive, is 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9. 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9. And I'd like you to see this. If you have a Bible, turn there. And I apologize, I didn't get the page number for this. But go ahead and turn to 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9. You can use the flip method if you have to. It's towards the end of the scriptures. Peter writes, speaking of Jesus, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter writes about Rejoicing with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Does your salvation feel like that today? Do you have the feelings that you would associate 
with rich food, a great deal, a happy marriage? Is that what your relationship with the Lord is like? Peter shows us that not just super spiritual Christians, he's writing the baby Christians who are being persecuted. This isn't the height of Christianity. This should be a common experience. And he says they should have joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. The reality is the kind of joy that we ought to experience in God is incredibly deep. But it's also incredibly rich. I want to urge you, do not settle for less than God himself. Notice in verse 19, back in Habakkuk, you want to turn back there with me. Habakkuk writes about the foundation that he's standing on to get him through what's coming. Verse 19 says, God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. And then this is actually a song, he says, to the choir master with stringed instruments. You want to fight for joy? Sometimes you need to listen to a good song that's going to remind you of deep, rich truth that will help put a smile back on your face. Habakkuk says that God, the Lord, is his strength. Again, he's focused exclusively on God. And notice, twice in this book already, Habakkuk has given you a mental image of what he's doing. Once, he's on top of a tower. And he said, I will be steadfast and immovable as I wait for the Lord. And again later, really in verse 16, he says, I hear and my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. And I said last week, he's in a position of humble trust, but he's not joyful yet. He's not moving. But notice in verse 19, he says, God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. We, we are in Michigan that is notoriously flat, except for Mount Holly. But you all have seen deer at least running across the road, if not through fields and up hills. They are incredibly sure-footed and free. They don't need flat ground like you or I do. They rarely stumble, and if they do, they almost never fall. And Habakkuk says, you have made me like a running deer, that I can't stay still, that I run for joy and I leap. And where Habakkuk lives, they do have mountains. And so he's not just running across flat Michigan. He is bouncing from mountain peaks to other rocky areas, sure-footed as a deer, full of joy. Because God is his strength. The things that he's losing don't matter. And the joy that he has is rich. The worst news in the world literally about as bad as it could get, hasn't caused him to lose his faith. It's caused him to deepen it. So this morning, I would like you and I to ask the question, can this be true of me? Does this work? Is Habakkuk's conviction well-founded? Is this just high-minded spiritual talk or will it change your life? Say in Daniel's own day, men like Daniel are just after Habakkuk, and he lives in Babylon, in the city that Habakkuk feared. 
And Daniel flourished because his relationship with the Lord was rich. There's biblical evidence that you can point to and say, this prophecy came true in the life of Daniel. But I know in myself, as I read the scriptures, sometimes it's tough to say, well, okay, that's Daniel. He's been dead for over a, almost 2,500 years. Can that be true in Holly, Michigan today? And I am here to tell you that you can definitely say yes to that question. And I'll tell you why. Because yesterday, after I got a call from Jackie Moreno, I went over and saw Fernando. He's a man who's been on dialysis for over six years. He's in his seventh year. This has not been an easy ride. He knows he will die probably this week. And his face is beaming with joy. I walked in, his, his daughter opened the door for me, and I heard little kids playing and laughing. And it, it was like a, a big Mexican party. And he's on his deathbed. They were signing papers for hospice care. Fernando is evidence that when God saves you, it can transform your heart completely. I'll give you two examples of how that's true. He said that he felt, he he didn't say exactly these words, but that his gift, one of his gifts spiritually was evangelism. And he said that he felt like God told him to go talk to two people he just saw on the street. He didn't know them. And he was fearful, and he said, no, 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 Lord, I don't want to do that. And he did it anyway. And this guy said to him after, he said, you know what? When I saw you coming, I told my buddy here, he's going to come talk to us about the Lord. And he said that experience of confirmation, that, that small little bit of evidence that his calling was true, he said it lit a fire on him. After that, he couldn't stop telling people about the Lord. And so the second thing I want to mention is, Jackie's son paid for them to go to Hawaii a few years ago. And Jackie told me, she said, I thought this would be a vacation of rest and relaxation. Fernando got up early every day and was evangelizing homeless people who lived on the beach. Jackie said in shock, there are a lot of homeless people that live in Hawaii. And Fernando, every day, was going and sharing the gospel with it. He said, when we were ready to leave, they didn't want us to go. He had built relationships within the space of a week. And I could see it in his face as he had confidence looking at death in the eye. He was laughing as if he would live for another hundred years and there was joy on his face. And he told me his favorite passage of scripture. He prayed with me, which is not usually how visitation works. He joked with me constantly, and yet he was never completely frivolous. He was concerned for the health of our church. He was concerned that we would continue to preach the gospel. He was excited about our plans to do just that. And the man loved Jesus for Jesus. He was not remotely concerned about dying. He asked me to be sure of one thing. He said, God is the one who does ministry, so you need to trust him completely and don't take credit for it. Get out of the way. This is a man who has put his trust in God. God is his savior and the joy on his face was obvious. So let me tell you, yes, this is possible in Holly, Michigan. 
Fernando didn't have a great ideal upbringing. He didn't even get saved until he was 40 years old, maybe a little older. He actually said he couldn't give me the exact year. He was saved at one of those evangelistic meetings that we say don't really work. Said he went one night, felt like the evangelist was talking to him. Said he suppressed it, said, no, I'm not going to do it. Kind of like you, Gail. Said he went the next night and he couldn't resist it. Went forward, gave his life to Christ, and he never looked back. At that time, he couldn't read. So the guy that invited him to the meeting said, why don't you ever come to Bible studies? And he said, I'm embarrassed. Man, at least in his 40s, he said, I can't read. So if you ask me to read something, I can't do it. So his neighbor taught him how to read. This is a guy that was quoting scripture to me that knows his Bible incredibly well as I spoke to him. And there are so many reasons that he shouldn't. If you want to look at human reasons and say, no, that's not going to happen. Don't, don't even try to reach that guy. He's gone. But the reality is, when God saves someone, it's a miracle. And it will give you this rock-solid joy that will fill you and put a smile on your face. So you might be here this morning and say, okay, I hear you. I get it. You're telling me that joy is like happiness, but I don't feel it. So what do I do? I've already believed the gospel. How do I get this kind of infectious joy? I want to say that's true of almost every Christian. That's true of me. When I wake up in the morning, my heart is often cold. We get glimpses of the glory of God and we praise him for it and we ask for more. But in God's providence, this is a process. So what do you do when you don't feel joy? I want to give you a couple of things that come right from the book of Habakkuk. What I believe ultimately led him to this position. So that you can also seek this kind of joy and fight for it. So first, along with what happens in, the, in Habakkuk throughout this book, you see Habakkuk at the beginning questioning God's will and providence. God, if you love me, why is this happening? And as he goes through the book, he moves to a place of humble submission where he understands, all right, Lord, this isn't what I would choose for my life, but I trust you. And so I would say the first step, the first thing you need to do if you're struggling for joy is surrender to the will of God in your life. God's will and plan for you might be different than yours. The second thing I'll say, this whole book is like a prayer journal. Habakkuk doesn't become bitter and turn away from God. We've seen a number of prayers, some of which are very full of emotion, where he questions God, and yet he turns to the Lord and talks to him. So the second thing I would say is, learn how to pray. And to that, I would add, learn how to use the scriptures to pray. The scriptures are how we hear the voice of the Lord. Expect him to speak to you in the power of the Holy Spirit and talk back to him in prayer. I want to urge you, if you don't feel joy this morning, seek the Lord. In a few minutes, we're going to sing another song. I don't want to have a traditional invitation today, but I do want to say to you, if you need to talk to the Lord, maybe you feel cold inside and you want joy. Maybe you are bitter. Maybe you need to confess your bitterness. The root of bitterness is that you have loved something else instead of God, and you need to confess that as sin. So maybe you need to confess something to the Lord today. And I want to urge you, after I give the benediction, stay here. Don't, we'll have chili. They'll hold the chili. It'll be fine. I want to urge you to spend some time speaking to the Lord in prayer. And I've asked a few people to be ready to pray with you so that if you'd like someone to pray with you, you can come over here by the piano. You can come over there in the front row. 
I would urge you, speak to the Lord today. Confess sin and ask for joy and say, Lord, I want you. I want this joy. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, we confess that so often we look to your blessings instead of to you. And that is sin, Lord. We ask that you would convict us and help us to forsake it. Teach us to seek you daily. And Lord, I ask that you would fill me in this church with your joy. In Jesus' name, amen.